haven't seen so many of you since last year, and so it's so good, so good to see you. Oh man, you guys just didn't get into that as much as I was hoping, but I don't care because I enjoyed it. And uh, I, you know, my kids are probably embarrassed and I enjoy that even more. It's so good to be worshiping with you this morning, especially as Chip mentioned, we're starting a brand new series called Better Together. And every once in a while there's a topic or um, sermon series idea or something that, that comes from a book that I've been reading, uh, and, and this, this is one of those things. And so every once in a while, I'll just kind of share and recommend a book to you. And there's a book by the name of Better Together, written by Rusty George, and I'm just going to throw up, yeah, it's already there. Um, that, that is the book, and so this series is kind of based on some of the concepts about this. So you might have guessed that we're talking about community. So we're going to talk a little bit about the theology of the church why it exists, why we gather together, but also just in general, the, what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and what it means to live life with community. And so this would be a great companion for you to check out and read, even if you aren't a reader, you know, it'd be a good, there's a good New Year's resolution for you. Read a book for the year. It could, it could be this one. You could read it or listen to it. You can find it on Amazon or if you do the library thing, go through your local library on Hoopla. It's an ebook on there and so you can check it out there as well. I like the description on the front. You can't read it, but it's on the um, little black circle that's up there. It's truth. This, this book is truth for introverts, extroverts, control freaks, free spirits, people, persons, and curmudgeons. So that last one, it's even for me. You know, that, that last one, I'm, I'm probably in the curmudgeon camp uh, right now. No matter who we are, no matter what we've gone through, no matter what we're going through right now, we all need community. And we're all better for it when we have it. When we don't, however, it's not always the first thing that we think of as being the key missing piece in our life. Things, are, things are, aren't uh, really going well or there's, there's something, something wrong, you know, just not, not the equilibrium is off. One of the first things that we often think of is not community. It's how can I fix this? How can I get this, this going? Uh, self-help, right, in our culture is a whole category of books. There are countless books written about it filled with ways to become a better me, self-improvement, self-actualization, self-determination. These are often the types of things we resolve ourselves to and think, hey, when I get this right, life will be exactly the way that I want it to. But it still doesn't quite work that way. I don't know if you made any New Year's resolutions this year. I have not. I've made absolutely none. I just want to give you permission to be free from that this year. Uh, but most of the time, when we're thinking about the impact that a New Year's resolution will make, we'll th we're thinking about us. It's like, well, I'm going to get in the gym, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, everything's going to be better for me. Or, oh, I'm going to start reading a book every week, and I'm going to have so much knowledge, and it's going to be better for me. Or, oh, I'm going to uh, start, you know, taking a walk in the woods once a day for 30 minutes, and, oh, it's going to, you know, I'm just going to enjoy nature, and it's going to be so much, so much better for me. But there are always much broader implications for the impact on our life when we make changes and we do things that are far greater than just us. And it's better always when we think about those implications too. And while you'll never hear me say that self-improvement is a bad thing, it's always a good thing. And as disciples of Jesus, we should always be seeking ways to be more like him, to be, to be better. We should always be aspiring to that. Self-improvement is an empty thing when we neglect other people to achieve it. Our Western culture is extremely individualistic, and we've gotten to, uh, long gotten to, not, not just recently, we've long gotten to a point where we're suffering for it through everybody being together alone. So constantly are 
in the mix with other people at our jobs, in the store, maybe even when we come to church, and yet people are more lonely than they have ever been. A couple studies I just want to point out to you about loneliness, uh, especially in a day and age when we're more connected than ever. I mean, even out in the country, we're supposed to get high-speed internet. You can be excited with me. Maybe in three to five years, we might have high-speed internet out in the boonies. We're more connected than ever, and yet loneliness continues to be on the rise. More than three in five Americans are lonely, with more and more people reporting feeling like they are left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This report came out in 2020, where the survey was done in 2019 before the pandemic. As you can imagine, it's gotten understandably worse. A more recent report by Harvard confirms uh, some, a few preliminary key findings in their national survey. 36% of res respondents reported serious loneliness, feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time or all the time in the four weeks prior to the survey. This included 61% of young people aged 18 through 25 and 51% of mothers with young children. That 36% was just serious loneliness, not just, not just loneliness in general. So 61%, 51%. 43% of young adults reported increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. About half of lonely young adults in the survey reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel like the person genuinely cared. Again, young adults have suffered high rates of both loneliness and anxiety and depression. According to a recent CDC survey, 63% of this age group are suffering significant symptoms of anxiety or depression. More connected than ever, more lonely than ever. A couple really important quotes, I think, that, that were pulled from the study. As a society, we do little to support emerging adults at precisely the time when they are dealing with the most defining stressful decisions of their lives related to work, love, and identity. Who to love? What to be? And here's the second quote, and this was not a Christian study or survey. We need to return to an idea that was central to our founding and is at the heart of many great religious traditions. We have commitments to ourselves, but we also have vital commitments to each other, including to those who are vulnerable. And at the center of the most vital commitment that we have to one another is simply to be together. To be, to be with each other in each other's presence. It's the first crisis of man that God provides a solution to in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. A lot of times you might think, oh, you know, the, the big thing that happens in the beginning of Genesis is sin and it breaks the relationship of God. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. But before that, it was God looking at Adam and saying, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God corrects that crisis then, then and there. Um, it's the fulfillment of God's salvation through Jesus that we now enjoy the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that God never leaves us alone. You know, as we read through the book of Acts and we see the conversion experiences that happen within there, one of the great things about what Jesus does is he completely changes our relationship with God and our salvation, absolutely. But also we get the indwelling presence of God with us continually. And I'm convinced that we would all generally agree that we're better together, even though some of us really enjoy our me time. I'm, I'm one of those. But how we practically put that into practice in our society now and in the future is going to be more and more difficult the more we practice cultural behavior, behaviors and patterns, because those aren't bringing us together. The more we practice those versus 
biblical patterns of behavior and practices that bring us together as a community. In practice, our society is more divided and selfish. I mean, it's, it's nothing new. It's typical Western behavior. It's a part of our culture. It's baked into our DNA in Western civilization. We're very individualistic. We care more about our personal freedoms. And, and there's nothing inherently wrong with some of those things. We just kind of understand how it affects us and how it uh, comes into practice in our being as, as uh, people who are following Jesus. And so do we exist alongside one another as individuals, or do we come together as communities in the way that God calls us to? Well, we know that what doesn't work, and that's only focusing on ourselves. So we're going to talk about what it looks like to be better together. If only there was a model for how all this should work, how we should come together, how we should be in community with one another and following God and supporting one another. Oh, yeah, that's the church. God, God does that, and he, he, uh, Jesus gives himself up for the church. And so we all need community, yes, but we all need church community. So how do we as disciples of Jesus live out this togetherness to which we've been called? And so I just want to talk about two things as we kick off this series, uh, intro into uh, better, being better together. The first is this. How do we do this as disciples? The first is we pursue unity through redemption and reconciliation. So we care about being unified with other people not care about what the things are that keep us separate for, for others. And this has been a really tough couple of years for this, particularly in, in the church. I've seen a lot of talk about who is loving their neighbor and who isn't lately. It's interesting to see people talking about those kinds of things, but what's been really ironic about it is I haven't seen much of that talk turn into the action of actually loving neighbors. So I want to talk about this within the culture of the church. We've talked about the, you know, our culture, the big umbrella of culture that we live in, but let's talk about the church for a little bit and what it looks like to be unified, especially in the midst of things that we can be divided about, like politics or the pandemic or policies. You like how all those started with P? I was proud of that. The context we're called to put all of those things into perspective of are Jesus' words in John chapter 17. And this is what Jesus says. My prayer, starting in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. He's talking about the disciples praying for them, and he's talking about us. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. I think those last two sentences are an imperative for us to understand and so important right now for the standing reputation the church has in our community, in our culture. So let me read those again, verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, what's the implication of our unity? Then the world will know that you sent me, that God sent Jesus, and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the implications of our unity are far greater than, than what we might surmise if just left on our own, to our own devices. So we think about, well, what has God done for us? Well, he sent Jesus for me, and he died on the cross for me, and he rose from the grave 
for me, and he enabled me to have a relationship redeemed and reconciled that relationship between me and God for me so that I could reap the benefits of being a disciple of Jesus and, and all the great things that I can look forward to in my life that God has done for me, and I get to go to heaven and be with God, and that's going to be great for me. And yet Jesus says, man, there's so much, there's so much greater at stake here. It's, it's how we we are brought together by the gospel and how we live that out. And the implications aren't just for the community that we get to enjoy and celebrate and be so grateful for and thankful for that, ex- that it exists. Because trust me, being a part of a healthy church community is, is, is more than just about the benefits that we reap for it. It's about, it's about seeing God at work and experiencing him in our lives. And when that takes place, when that happens, it's how the rest of the world who doesn't know Jesus, gets to experience and see him at work. It's through our unity that we, we come together in because of who Jesus is. You Sometimes, it, it, you know, we get stuck into the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely, we're better together if, if you check all the right boxes. And so who's your favorite sports team or who did you vote for in the last election or how, how do you really feel about the pandemic. Can you please tell us all and post about it on Facebook regularly? Because I really, I really want to know all of your opinions and thoughts about it. it. It's very helpful. It almost makes me miss the days, and maybe it does, it almost makes me miss the days in churches where, where people used to argue about whether drums could be on the stage and whether or not you could play them. Man, we've come, we've come a long way. It makes me miss the days you know, when people would argue about what was the right way to believe about Revelation or Revelations, that's my favorite part. Anybody who uses an S on the end of Revelation, just immediately ignore them and walk away. No, wait, we're supposed to be unified. We're supposed to be unified. Um, it makes me miss the argument about, you know, free will and predestination, all those things, like theological, doctrinal things that, that we get into. Here, let me, let me just give a really strong statement, okay? And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it. Rejecting fellowship with other disciples of Jesus over matters of opinion is subjective, self-selective hypocrisy and is the antithesis of the unity Jesus prays for us as a body of believers. It's the stuff that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were made of, and we are called to a much greater love for one another than that. And when we put that into practice, we are better together because we are unified by what God is unified by. And that glory shines in and among one another and is reflected in a desperately lonely world that needs Jesus. Paul writes about this Jesus relationship uh, to the church in Ephesians 5. And he talks about this in context of the example of a husband loving, loving his wife. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. We are unified together through the redemption and the reconciliation that Jesus' resurrection brings, and it's the foundation we move forward on together as disciples of Jesus. And how we put into practice is something that we participate in as the church. So here's the second thing that, that I want to talk about this morning. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be with 
disciples of Jesus. One of my favorite things to hear as a Christian, and not just, not just as a pastor, so I, I mean, as a Christian, so even if I wasn't a pastor, I would still feel this way. Sometimes I'm not sure people are convinced by that sometimes. Just like, oh, he's just saying that because he's a pastor and he has to say that. No, this, I, I really, really do actually believe these things and have studied them and, and read them in, in God's word, right? Um, so this is one of my favorite things to hear. I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. This is a major eye roll moment for me. And, and one of those was like, what? You just can't have read the Bible at all. Like at, at any point, you just can't, can't have done that. I get where it comes from though, because it, it totally depends on what you mean when you say that. You know, you know, is this about if I come to church, I'm saved? You know, it's like, oh, I checked that box this Sunday. I got there. I'm good to go for the rest of the week. I can do just about anything I want to do. You know, okay, if we're talking about religious boxes to, ch- to check, attending church is not what saves you. Okay, so we, we, we agree on that. Um, but you also don't see any disciples of Jesus following him without doing it with other followers of Jesus in the New Testament. It just just isn't done. Not only is it not done, it can't be done without one another. And I think there are some misunderstandings about what the church is that that muddy the waters on this. For example, the church is not a brand or a product. Um, It's certainly not about my personal brand or what I produce. It's not about what our staff makes happens with events and programs. It's not about the leadership decisions that our elder team makes. And it's not about the consumable spiritual goods and services that we provide. So when you came in this morning, we didn't give you a menu. You know, it's, oh, here are the things that I want to order for today, and here are the things that I I want out out of this. The church is about the community that each of us produces and participates in as disciples of Jesus. It's a body of believers. It's a congregation. It's an assembly of those who are following Jesus, and that's what it is. What's is, here, here's something that's not found in the Bible. What's not found in the Bible is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Did I just, I, if you feel attacked right now, I totally, I totally get that. And here's what I mean when I say that. Most of the time when we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, because we're our Western individualistic minds, we're, we're talking about a private relationship with Jesus. It was none of your business. You know, what my relationship with God is, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and there's nothing, nothing about a private relationship, private personal relationship that's found in Scripture. What is found in the Bible it's disciples of Jesus gathering together regularly in relationship with each other because of who we are through Jesus Christ. One of our goals as a church is to participate in and produce the example that we see in Scripture about what people did as a response to their life being changed by Jesus, and they gathered together. Here's one key passage, and we're going to talk about several more in the coming weeks, but Acts 2, 42 through 47 is, to me, one of the key foundational passages for this. They... Christians, people who became followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. That's what we're going to start something new this year. We're going to have church every day. You guys cool with that? Everybody's in, right? Yeah, okay, all right, yeah. See you tomorrow night, right here. I'm just kidding, don't show, don't, <laughs> don't show up tomorrow. But do join a small group. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple course. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their num- number daily those who were being saved. Listen, Jesus is always the one who makes the difference and always the one who enables us uh, to uh, be saved 
for salvation to take place, for us to be redeemed back to God. And the Holy Spirit is the one at work within us to counsel us and to help us to be who God has called us to be, to do anything worthwhile. The context in which all that takes place isn't within compartmentalized individual lives. It's found in the habits and the rhythms that we form together as as the church. And I'm not just talking about velocity when I say that. I'm talking about the big C church, the kingdom of God that we're called to be a part of. Here's something I find to be really helpful to keep this in mind as I think about what it means to be a disciple. When you read the New Testament, and and I I hope you are, I hope you're in your Bible regularly in reading. Uh, Nearly every time you come across the word you in the New Testament, uh, the word you is not talking just about you, all right? So absolutely there are times where you is referring to a specific individual. The context is often incredibly clear uh, about this, but most of the time, especially when we're reading about commandments, instructions, you know, things, here's what it means to be a a Christian. When we read, read, easy for me to say, the word you, it is not singular. And sometimes this doesn't come across in our English translations very well. Some of your translation will have footnotes that will come down and and check those out sometimes because they're really helpful when we read. Um, It's actually you all. So let me give you an example. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Well, the word you in that passage is actually plural. So let me give you the translation for that. Don't y'all know that y'all yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all's midst? You can call that the Southern Charm translation if you want to. And to me, this is very helpful as to read through the New Testament and kind of understand, hey, this is not just about me. This is about us together. We are God's temple, that the Holy Spirit is dwelling together with us in our midst. Rarely is it only about you, it's about you all. When that starts to become a part of our thinking and our approach to our relationship with God, a couple of really important things start to happen. We actually grow. We experience spiritual growth in our relationship with Jesus. We grow to be more like Jesus. Jesus was in constant communion with God, and he prays in the high priestly prayer. Oh, I want them to experience the same communion, the same community that you and I do, and them to understand what this is like. And we realize that we are not alone. Oh, this pervasive epidemic of loneliness that is, continues to grow in our culture. Man, when, I mean, that is amazing news is that we are just simply not alone. One of our rules is no one stands alone. Well, you know, we can't choose that for anyone. And we just want you to let, that you don't have to live life that way. Because that's not how God calls us to live. It's not how he created us to live. We are not alone. And when we live our lives with others, it's not just better together. It's the only way to experience a complete life with God. Just as he desires community with each and every one of us, Jesus makes that happen by removing the sin that separates us from God. That's meant to do the same in our coming together as the bride of Christ, the church whom Jesus gave himself up for. It's found in the unity we pursue together, in the congregational worship and fellowship and service and giving that produces and participates in that body of Christ, that church that we're called to be better together in. The church exists because God designed us to be better together. It's his plan for how we experience Jesus is through each other together and how we share him with other people together. If you weren't here for a Christmas Eve service, I kind of shared a couple different things that we have done together 
as a church over the last couple months that we just could not do as individuals. Our Advent offering, we raised over $5,700, paid for 25 hotel, hotel rooms for a couple nights for people who are homeless, had nowhere else to go, a little bit of food, something warm to wear. And, and I, I'm just telling you, I, I wouldn't be able to do that on my own. We, we do things better together when we come together because of who Jesus is and what he has done in our life. What part may he be calling you in your life, in your faith, to pursue, produce, participate in as we kick off this, this new year? In what way is the Holy Spirit leading you to togetherness in the church and being unified and living out who he has called us to be? This week, I, I just want to ask you to pick someone to do something together with. In, in thinking about how you're living out your life as a disciple. Maybe it's a spiritual conversation that you have. Maybe it's just you normally eat lunch alone on Wednesdays, and this time you're, you're going to do that with someone to have the opportunity just to, just to help someone not be lonely this week. I just want to challenge you to, to, to do that. In my life, I have five best friends that we constantly are prioritizing times to, uh, to go do things together. I've, I've told you about some of this before. We, every other year, we, uh, we go camping with our families. Every other year, we have a canoe trip where we go and um, probably do, you know, well, I'm not going to say. I, I, I can't talk about canoe trip, um, actually, so I won't talk about that here. And, uh, and, and those, are, those are things that we do not just because they're fun to do, because it's about, it's, honestly, it's about survival. It's about making, making it through because we live in a world that is oppressive ultimately to who God has called us. We live in a world that's broken by sin. And so throughout our weeks, we're constantly bombarded by, by, things, that, by things that are coming in to disrupt and distract us from who God has called us to be and enabled us to be. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need to gather regularly. That's why I go and see Star Wars movies with my buddy from, from Texas. You know, because it's not about the movie. It's about the togetherness that we have in Christ. And because those are my brothers, and they, they help me along the way to be a better version of myself than I would ever be on my own. Like I said, it's about survival for me. It's also about joy that I will never experience if I'm by myself. It's about seeing a much greater part of the kingdom of God, God at work, that, that's so much bigger than just my limited experience and my limited perspective. And we really are truly better when we are together. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the gift of your church. God, we thank you for the gift of living in such a countercultural way that just the, the fact that we are unified and we pursue reconciliation and redemption among each other, that, that we show you through that. God, help us, to be, um, help us to be those people of unity and togetherness. God, we thank you for uh, just the knowledge that we don't have to go through life alone, that as disciples of Jesus, when we're with disciples of Jesus, there is a, never a moment in which, unless we choose it, unless we don't tell anybody what's going on in our life, unless we you know, choose not to be in a relationship with other people, God, we thank you for there being a community of believers who are there to support us, to encourage us, to love us, to share joy with us, to mourn with us, to laugh with us. God, we are so grateful at your wisdom 
uh, to know that this is, this is not about us trying to figure out how to do things on our own, but us going through this life together. God, we praise you for that. We honor you for the glory that you have shown us through Jesus. God, we praise you for the salvation that is, uh, that is a free gift to us through your son. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.